Father, this evening, we just thank you, Lord, for this first Sunday, the fifth day, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We are here, Father, because of your mercy, your goodness, your grace alone, O oh Lord. We just want to thank you every day, Lord, for your goodness, your faithfulness, your mercy. The very mercy, Lord, that we are able to gather. That we are able to read, to hear, to understand what you are telling us. That you are preparing us, Lord, for the end. Thank you, Lord. That none of us would be caught unaware. None of us would be able to say, I did not know. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. I pray even tonight, give us hearing ears. That you would... Open our ears and our minds to what you are telling us now, today. Because you are a living God, a living Father who speaks daily to his children. Speak, Father. We just surrender everything into thy hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, we we uh, continue where we stopped on Sunday. So I hope you listen to the Sunday's message. Where... Like I said, we're recapping and yet I'm laying the framework for the coming year. We've been hearing and we know there is a king, there is a kingdom, and there is a righteousness that we are called to seek. There is a purpose in every child's life. His children have a purpose. It's nobody sitting here who's a child of God who does not have a very definite purpose in your life. And then we are not asked to achieve it in our own strength. There is his power. Keep that always in your mind. There is a king and there is a kingdom. Both before we know will be here. Before we know the king and the kingdom could be here. And what level of righteousness did we achieve in our walk by faith? How much of his purpose did we fulfill in our generation? How much of his unlimited power that is available did we utilize? Keep this all in mind. Remember the parable we looked at a couple of Wednesdays back. We go back to that parable. This time I want to read the whole thing in from Luke 19. And I think this is from the NIV. Yeah. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Okay, remember. If we have to read constantly, actually take, um, always carry a marker like this wherever you are, okay? Carry a marker even on your app, you can mark. If you mark the number of times Jesus uses the kingdom when he's preaching, you'll realize all he preached was about the kingdom. Okay, so it's always preparing people for the, for like the kingdom could come now, the kingdom could be delayed, but prepare for the kingdom. He was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. As he was going to, they're all excited. They said he's going to enthrone himself. The kingdom of God will be here. Then we are all, the Romans will be thrown out and we are going to have a gala time. So he explains. He said a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minors. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, your miner has earned ten more. 
Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Like I said, read scripture and believe it as truth. Don't have these sentimental views about Jesus. Because people are very emotional when they read scripture. Scripture, read it with a very clear mind. Okay, very clear mind. In verse 12, that noble man, or the man of noble birth, is Jesus. He did the will of the Father and is gone now to receive the kingdom. Kingdom means power, authority. It is given by the king of kings. The father will hand it over to the son. The son is going to receive a kingdom. And in Matthew 28, verse 18, when he comes back, he tells, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The kingdom has been given to me. I have all power in heaven and earth. It's given to me by the Father. In Luke 19 and verse 13, So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. There are all the world, whether they accept or not, are the subjects of the king. But he doesn't give gifts to everybody. He called ten of his servants among the people of the world. His children, those who have belong to him. Okay, Matthew 28, verse 19. We will see. Ah, 19. The next verse. Therefore, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he called his disciples, those who are his, and the commission is given to them. The king comes back, he doesn't call all his subjects, he only calls his servants, only his people. And he gives them gifts, and he says, this is your work. It is a long process, okay? Making disciples of nations is like a long process. Everybody is not called to preach, but everybody is part of the process. Everybody, different, 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 different parts. Everybody plays. And accordingly, he has given everybody gifts. That's the master. In Luke 19 and verse 14, Scripture says, But his citizens hated him. Understand that. They hated him. The citizens, the people of the world hate him. They don't like Christ. If you actually present the real Christ and what he demands of you, they don't like him at all. They hate him. 
That's why we twist and put a Jesus, which is not the Jesus of the scripture. It's not the Jesus of the scripture. It's a, it's a myth. Jesus sounds more like Santa Claus than the Jesus of. That's why they love Santa Claus. You will never see anything about Jesus anywhere when Christmas comes. From the airport all the way, it's only Santa Claus. Everybody loves Santa Claus. Now we have changed because his subjects don't like Jesus. Okay? And in verse 15, scripture says, when he comes back, so it says, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants. He doesn't talk to the subjects. He doesn't talk. He only calls us, everyone sitting here, who is of God. He will call everyone and says, give me accounts. Give me accounts. Ask for accounts. He asks for accounts. Okay? Remember that. That's what you have to keep in mind. He will ask accounts for everyone. You cannot say, like I've given this testimony that one place on earth when I set a met, set of, met a set of people 14 years ago who were not allowed to do anything. Remember, in that camp of UN refugee camp, and they asked, what can we do? And they sent a chit to the front. What can we do? We are not allowed to work. Our rations come every week. We are not allowed to do anything. We are hemmed in. We have been living in this UN camp for 12, 20, 30 years, 22 years. And I didn't know what to say when God told me they have what is called time. Time. Most precious commodity you have in abundance. Nobody in this world has time. You're all rushing for time managing. You have time. Do you use that time to pray? to intercede. That's how they started praying. Now you go back to the camp, there's hardly anybody left. They're all gone. They're all spread around the world and they started churches around the world because they had something. So don't ever think all of you sitting over here, even Gopi sitting over here, God will say, did you pray? Did you pray for your church? Did you pray for your pastors? Did you pray that? It just takes two minutes. Did you? I'm only asking you, did you pray? I know you are a student, you have so much to do and you are not, but you could pray two minutes, Father. Thank you for the home, thank you for a place, thank you for the education, and thank you for the church. And thank you above all, Lord, for you. Lord, extend your kingdom. That's all it takes. You begin there, suddenly you realize he increases your prayer life. Because that's how the kingdom of God works. Whatever you give, it increases. A lot of people, their prayer lives never increase is because they don't give in their prayer life. Understand that kingdom of God is absolutely different. The more you give, the more you receive. That's how it is. So he will ask for accounts. But in verse 27, bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. And he says, slay them in front of me. Sounds very different picture of Jesus Christ. Now we will say, take them to the backyard and finish them off. Jesus is not in front of me. In front of me. I don't understand what it means, but I'm saying, don't be very sentimental about this Jesus, like Raj prayed. He came to die. He's not coming back to die. He's coming back to judge. So Romans 11 and verse 22 gives us a very balanced picture of Jesus Christ, of God. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. Both balance. And on those who felt severity, but toward you, Goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Consider both. When I showed this verse in Nepal, Kathmandu, they had never seen this verse. 
You know, people frame their, out of their imaginations and emotions, they have a picture of God, which is not from the Bible. Balance it. Always have a very clear picture of who God is. Balance it. Jesus was very consistent in his teaching. There are sons in the kingdom and there are rebels in the kingdom. The sons are not asked for an account of their salvation. They are asked an account. Was your salvation true? If your salvation is true, it will produce works which is according to the kingdom. Your works doesn't make you saved, but the saved will always have works. And you will be asked an account. How did you use your time, your gift, and my Holy Spirit, the power that was given. And there will be rebels, lots of rebels. Okay? So keep this. And among the servants, you will see there are the faithful and the faithless. And among the servants who are faithful, there are the fruitful. And servants differ in their fruitfulness. We know, hundredfold, sixtyfold, fortyfold. But in this case, in Luke 19 and verse 16, the first came saying, Master, your minor has earned ten minors. He was a hundredfold servant. So God expects hundredfold. And he's not surprised you brought hundredfold. Hundredfold. You need to, when you read scripture, you can presume a few things from the background of the scripture. Okay, how it is not, like, the, 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 uh, the snake was most subtle of all creatures and the snake came to the garden and the snake spoke to Eve. And we know it is the devil who came as a snake. And scripture doesn't say Eve screamed and ran to Adam saying the snake is speaking. What does that mean? That would, for me, it means the animal spoke before the fall and she was not surprised that the animal spoke. Okay. When God brought those animals to Adam so that he would name them, whether he would choose his spouse from among them, that means they spoke. But they were not of his nature. Because that's how you read the context and understand, okay, maybe Narnia is, maybe C.S. Lewis saw stuff which we did not see. Okay, he saw stuff which we did not see. There are a lot of things that are hidden, but it's exciting when we go through scripture. So you, when you hear, you will see, he brought in hundredfold. The other guy who was given one brought five. He brought only fiftyfold. He could have brought hundred. So faithful servants are not equally fruitful. Though they were given the same gift or same level of power, they were not. Productivity is not the same. All these are parables, like I said on Sunday, addressing our attitudes. And attitude matters. In the kingdom. Attitude is one of the most important factors in the kingdom of God. In verse 24 to 26, there is a servant who is condemned. He said to those who took stood by, take the minor from him, give it to him who has ten minors. But they said to him, master, he has ten minors. For I say to you that everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him strange. The question is, if someone has nothing, you cannot take anything from him. From him who does not have. How do you take something from somebody who does not have? 
it was not that this servant had nothing. But he saw what he had as of no value. Be careful. This is one of the most common attitude of God's children in the kingdom. We saw everything was bought with a price. Everything that we have was given. But often we treat life very casually instead of as a trust. We treat our bodies very lightly. We treat our minds very lightly. We treat our time very lightly. We treat our life very casually. We don't read and understand scripture that God owes us nothing and we owe him everything. <coughs> everything is given to us as a trust. You trust us and he has given us, you, me, a body. He has given us everything that needs to maintain this body, this mind. Everything has been given to us as a trust. In John chapter 5 and verse 17, if I am right, this talks about he and his father. My father has been working until now and I have been working. He says, we are at work all the time. And you need to ask a question. Lord, can you tell me some of the work you are still doing? And scripture will show us through the psalmist David, God will open a portal and show us a little work which he does. In Psalm 91, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. He says, if your eyes were to be open for a fraction of a second, what's happening in the spiritual realm, the millions and billions of demonic hosts that are after mankind to tempt them, to kill them, to destroy them, God says, I am at work protecting my children. The God of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's watching over his people that harm doesn't come to them. He says, I gave you a life and I trusted you. There is no safe hour for the child of God. And God is forever at work. Every second, spiritual arrows are flying. And it is Christ who protects. It's Christ who intercedes. It is the angels who are battling on our behalf. And the more effective servant of God you are, <coughs> the more the attack. The more the attack. You could be a child who is absolutely prayerful and God uses you to pray. Like if 8 year old Samuel, you can be sure the, the demonic hosts are around because they know this one child is more dangerous than 500 pastors. That's how it is. Look at a picture in Second Kings chapter six, fifteen. And when the servant of the man of God rose, not the man of God, the servant of the man of God arose and went out. There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, "Alas, my master, what shall we do? For one man, the king has sent his entire army to get one man because that one man, he knows, this man is the reason I am never able to win a battle. It's got nothing to do with Israel, the king, or the soldiers, or the army. It is one man. If I take this one man out, I can win over Israel. And you know, look at what happens subsequently. The prophet prays. Yeah. 
16. So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. There's something happening in the spiritual realm. If you are able to see an army on the ground, then you need to understand there are millions of demons empowering that army in the spiritual realm, and God has surrounded his Servant with angels, chariots of fire. The God of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. This is the reality. And our eyes should be opened. The resources God freely spends on us. He spends heaven's resources. Okay, let's say, we used to say, Gopi, you are staring at me, so you are the one. Imagine Gopi actually changes his life hearing the message today. He, in his own, before he goes to sleep, starts praying. And his prayer increases. And actually, God's spirit starts interceding through him. You know what happens? God's things start changing in the spiritual realm. The demonic forces identify him. They realize he's becoming dangerous. They are sending now troops from here to there. And God is sending resources from heaven to protect him. God spends freely on his children. He spends his resources of heaven on his children. Now, why were we all delayed? You know why? Because a young man was passing through the city. Now, is he anybody in the government? No. But his grand, his father and his grandmother were assassinated. So they come under a special law of India called Special Protection Group. So where he moves, where he moves, it's a special set of security guards who will guard him until the law changes. Why? Because of a law. You need to realize there are more angels guarding God's children than SPG protection that is for PM Modi. Why? He spends his resources on us because he says, you are my child. Now I am spending all of this on you. I expect something back. Some of you are not here because I told my wife, we are spending too much resources on children who are not interested. They come and sleep. It's time they stayed back. They stayed back. Why? Because kingdom resources, you have to be a good steward. Two vehicles, two drivers coming back, all thinking you would be interested and you would get that spark and then you would become that one steward in God's kingdom who would be counted for something that is faithful. Remember, understand all this. God is an incredible manager of his resources. He spends freely. Remember Luke 19.14, the subjects hate him. They hate him. And the demonic realm has raised up an army against Elisha. We live in a visible world where citizens hate the righteous king. And we are surrounded by powers of darkness, evil forces who hate us. So question is, do you appreciate life? Do you even understand that the very fact that we are alive today is because God is at work? Other we would have gone, we would have been finished. Do we appreciate life? We have been given new life. We have been given divine commission. We have been given divine power. And with one command, that's one command in Luke 19, 13, KJV version says, Occupy till I come. One command, till I come, hold on and increase. 
Not just hold on what you have. Increase, 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 increase. Not in the physical realm. In the spiritual realm. Keep on increasing. Because the kingdom of God is a spiritual entity now. And the kingdom of God is always increasing. It never decreases. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the armies of the church. And everyone is a part of it. So we can either just coast through life without learning the attitudes of the kingdom or we can learn the attitudes of the kingdom and says he spent an enormous price in redeeming me and he's investing even more so that I become something in the kingdom. You see, we understand all this in the physical, all the parents, including us, everybody. We look into the future of our children and by faith, faith in the material world, put poor money into the education of our children. Hoping one day you will be an engineer, one day you will be a doctor, one day you will be a lawyer, one day so that your life will be secure on earth. But God in the same token, even more, he says, I'm investing in your spirit that one day for eternity you will be somebody in my kingdom. And the problem is Christians are so sh- short-sighted that they invest so much into this and invest very rarely into that. Very rarely into that. While God says you invest into that, this will be automatically taken care of. Your children will fulfill my purpose in my kingdom. 30 years of his life of Jesus Christ is hardly recorded in scriptures. Yet 30 years was not wasted, but was used profitably to learn the most important quality in the kingdom of God for Jesus. The most important quality. The most important quality is in Isaiah 50 and verse 5. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Two things, to hear and to obey. 30 years the father was teaching the son. Hear, obey. Hear, obey. Hear, obey. The level of obedience that was demanded from him will never be demanded of us. Never be demanded of us. But he was demanded. So 30 years he was being prepared. You need this one quality son to become the redeemer. Here, obey. Here, obey. Here. And he says, I was never rebellious. I heard I obeyed. I heard I obeyed. In Hebrews 5 and verse 8, scripture says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. One of the primary things in the kingdom of God, if you ever want to be profitable in this kingdom and the coming kingdom is, learn to hear, learn to obey. Learn to obey. Once you've heard, there are no questions. You go ahead and obey. You obey. You have to learn. How far did he have to go? Till he was perfect. 5, 8 says, until he be perfected in hearing, and in his obedience. He was perfect. And Isaiah 50, verse 6 will show us, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out of my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. I did not. I did not. Why? Because I heard the Father say, you will drink from this cup tomorrow. Don't rebel. Don't turn back. You have the power to walk away. You have the power to destroy them. But I want you to obey. I want you to obey. All these years was preparing step by step by step. Here, obey. Here, obey. Now the hour has come. How far will you obey? He says, I gave my back. It's not that they took my back. I gave my back. Who struck me? My cheeks. To those who plucked me. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. One thing you will need as a 
to be a fruitful servant. Understand, get this. Because it is a kingdom attitude, one of the most important kingdom attitudes. Once you have known the will of God, once you have known the will of God, I will finish my work. I know this is what you want me to do and I will finish my work. Even if my last stage of my work is on the cross, on the cross I will finish my work and I will say, I finished. It is finished. I will finish. Everything in your and my life should be tuned towards that. I will occupy till he comes. I will till he comes. But so many, sadly, like the last servant who see what God has entrusted into our hands as nothing. They don't see the spiritual things as valuable. We don't see our prayer time as valuable. We don't see the hours we spend on the word of God as valuable. We don't see the times we gather in God's house as valuable. We don't see those things as valuable. We attach value to other things. We don't see those things as valuable. Therefore, we don't invest in it because we'll invest on what we is. Or like the prodigal son, we will take what is valuable and waste them, our inheritance in this world. So you are a prodigal servant or a prodigal son. God says, neither. I want you to be a fruitful servant. Remember the widow in Elisha's story who the creditors came Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She said, your maid servant has nothing. You see, she had a jar of oil, but she considered it nothing. But that very thing which she disregarded is what God is used, going to use to change her life, change her son's life, and use that as an example to change lives of millions in history. What you consider? Nothing. Nothing. That's what, this is the other issue. Because if our eyes are tuned in the material world, we will not value those little spiritual things which God has given us. And we don't value it. It's nothing. So God says, you considered it nothing. Therefore, take that from him which he thought was nothing and gave it to that fellow who did not think about the same thing as nothing. He thought his prayer time was not some nothing. It was something. He used it. She says, give him more time to pray. You will see people who have the habit of praying. They are able to pray more and more. How come they also only have 24 hours? It's because they found value in what was nothing to others. Understand this. This is where the key is. The key is we are not intellectual Christians. In the sense of following intellectualism. We are practical Christians. We allow those thoughts and attitudes become a part of our life. Everybody is given only 12 hour, 24 hours. But everybody doesn't spend the 24 hours the same way. Some of them are able to take the 24 hours and spiritually decide their prerogatives and maximize their time. Because they realize, you know what, I find value in this. How does it become maximized? Because they put value in the things of the kingdom of God. The very king comes and maximizes their time. With little, they are able to do much. Because they found value in the little. You know what? Moses saw the staff in his hand has nothing. He said, I can't do that. I cannot speak. And finally God said, hey, okay, wait, what do you have? He said, a staff. He never thought about the stuff. Because he never could see God's purpose in his life. 
What were you doing 40 years, Moses? 40 years I was taking care of my father-in-law's sheep. Do you know your purpose? God who has seen the end from the beginning has already been preparing you for the next 40 years. You will use this shop to shepherd God's people in the same wilderness. That's what you've been trained for. And you thought this was nothing. This is all you will need for the rest of your life. It's all you will need. Nothing more. All you will need. And that is where you have to identify in yourself. What is that little thing that God has given to you and maximize? You gave me one, I'm going to make it ten, Lord. I'm going to make it ten in your service for your glory. He had no clue that what he saw has nothing. Was all that he needed. To the point when he's finally commissioned and goes in Exodus 4 and verse 20, Moses took his wife, his son, set them on a donkey. He returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. That simple stick with staff with which he'd been looking after sheep for 40 years now has been commissioned. He's the man of God and this is the rod of God. Same way with all of you. You will become a woman of prayer and your prayer will be the prayer of God. It will be no longer your prayer. It is when the Holy Spirit actually prays through you. Now he says, you can be trusted. You are diligent. You know the kingdom. You know the kingdom purpose. And you will not bargain with this anymore. And God says, now when you, I am waiting at 7 or 6 in the morning, you are the one who prays. And when you get down on your knees, the Holy Spirit comes. And he starts praying through you. Because you have become the rod of God. Because you saw something which was nothing, has everything in God's hands. That's how it works. This is not something we do on our own. This is something which God does through us. Occupy till Christ comes. Starts with realizing that life on earth is our trust. And life is measured in terms of time and the resources God is putting into us. If we don't value it, God says, it will be taken away. You see your prayer life shrinking. You are hardly able to pray now. Your problems are not actually increasing or maybe increasing, but you don't have the power. Because God said, you've been in the Lord for 10 years, but you never used those little things when I told you about prayer, when I told you about word, when I told you about faith, when I told you about... You heard it, you took notes, but you never believed. You never believed. You never practiced it. He says, start changing. Another year is coming. Start changing. And he says you will start maximizing it more and more. You will be able to use it. Or the king will say, take it away and give it to that one who prays more. You know, that's what happened. You know, scripture says, as soon as David was anointed, the Holy Spirit left Saul. The Holy Spirit is from somebody else. Who will use? The anointing is the same. The anointing person is also the same. He says, if you want to use the anointing for my purpose, you're going to use it for your purpose, then I'm going to take it and put it on this guy who will use it for my purpose. You may be the tallest, the handsomest, the smartest fellow. It's by the shepherd boy. But I'm not looking at your gifts. I'm looking at his heart. He will use it better. The king is the same. He has never changed in the Old Testament or the New Testament. So remember and value the things which are eternal. The problem is, second thing which I want you to notice, God says, occupy till I come. But scripture says, in another parable he says, when his coming was delayed. There's different parables, delayed. 
And the problem is when he doesn't come, we get occupied but by the wrong things. He says occupied till I come, but we didn't get occupied with the kingdom. We get occupied by the wrong things. There is a long time gap between the king giving his servants minor each and his return. You see, we get busy. I'm not saying that everybody is going into sin. No, we're not talking even about sin. That leave it to the world, not God's people. We get busy with the normal things which can become wrong things in the light of the king's command. That's why Jesus uses two illustrations. He says, do you remember about the people in Noah's time and Lord's time? Both were waiting for a day of judgment and they had no clue. And people got so engrossed with the normal things. And he says that will be in the last days. People were working, people were reaping, people were sowing, people were getting married. He says, did you see? They got so busy with the normal things of life, the lost vision of the eternal. That's why he uses these things. There's nothing wrong in all this, but if that is a priority... Then he says, you lose your focus. You get occupied. Your mind gets occupied. That is where Jesus will command Mary. In Luke 10 and verse 42, he says, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part. One thing is needed. You need one thing. He says, you know, Jesus says, you look at Mary. What is that one thing that Mary has chosen? If you look into, if you are able to get into Mary's mind, Mary's thoughts, are occupied by Jesus. Her mind is not occupied by anything. There is nothing absolutely wrong or bad or immoral or unethical in what Martha is doing. But in the context of that day, when Jesus is sitting in your house and he is teaching, what you are doing is the wrong thing. In the context. The context is Jesus is in the house. If you are sitting in the church, you have come all this far away and the mind is wandering here and there. In the context, you are doing the wrong thing. Because your mind is not occupied by the teaching. Your mind is occupied by other things. That's what he's saying. One thing is needed. You need to understand that it's true about all of us. You see, you and I don't have to be everywhere or do everything. We just have to be where God wants us to be and do what he wants us to do. And it all begins by listening. What did Mary do that was commendable? One, she sat at his feet, which we told you depicts surrender and trust. She trusted. You see, you cannot sit at his his feet when he's come into your house with 12 disciples knowing that there is food to be made. You surrender to his teaching and trust that he can take care of it or it will be taken care of. He's not going to get mad if lunch is delayed. Or, like I told in Kathmandu, we are staying in a resort two days, one night, two days. Next time when you call me, can we have a three-day meeting with fasting? Will you be ready? Think about it. Overhead costs nothing. Instead of meeting in a resort, we meet in a church. You all come at 10 o'clock, you all go up at 6 o'clock. Whole day I will teach you for three days. You eat your breakfast, you eat your dinner, don't eat lunch. Can you realize how easy meetings can be? He says, will you come? Will you come? You really want to be serious about the kingdom of God? Will you make these changes in your life? We can have any number of meetings. 
It's not difficult. But the problem is, where is your mind? Where is your contact? You think Jesus has come, one who created everything you've seen and heard about his miracle? He's so worried about food? Then we will be able to hear. She's at his feet and she's able to hear. In the parable, all the servants heard, occupy till I come. But all did not hear the same way. If they all had heard and understood and believed the same way, they would have all brought the same results. Romans 8 and verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons, children of God, sons and daughters of God. But you need to realize, if I ever, ever have to be led, I have to hear first. Those who do not hear cannot be led. Those who do not hear cannot be led. What is the first testimony of Jesus at the age of 12? He was sitting in the temple and he was listening and both are important. Okay, so many people, you know what happens is, no, you don't hear properly. If you haven't heard properly, don't assume and go things because later we'll ask you, why did you do all these things? If you had doubt, why didn't you ask me? Why did you ask me? Now we have gone ahead and done these things, but I never wanted you to do these things. I thought you understood what I expected. Instead, you went and did three, four, five when I only asked you one and two. If you had doubt, you should have asked. Look at Jesus. He listened, he asked questions. Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to do this. Lord, how do you want me to do? How do you want me to do? Lord, when do you want me to do? When do you want? Ask this question. He's a father. He will answer. You don't have to run. God told me to do. I'm going. God says, wait, 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 wait. You won't even hear. You have run away. How? When? Understand these things. I cannot be led unless I hear. And that's where attitude matters. Most cannot, or many, I will not use the most. Who am I to say most? Many cannot hear because they don't hear. Not because they don't hear, but because they do not have the kingdom attitude which God demands. That's kingdom attitude. They are just busy without occupying what God has commanded each to occupy. They are busy. They are occupied with so many things, but they are not occupied with what God told them to occupy. In Hebrews 4, verse 10 and 11, this is another portion which I told them all. These were all like Greek and Latin for them. These are people in ministry for years and years and years. And I said, did you ever look at these verses and think? For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. NKJV says diligent. KJV says labor. ESV says strive. Think about it in KJV terms. Labor to enter. I said... Parishram karo, uske vishram mein jana ke liye. I am saying in Hindi. I said, isn't it the other way? Parishram ke baad hum vishram karte hai na? Don't you rest after labor? In the world? Yeah. Now you want to go home and you want to you wanna rest, right? Full day. 
two hours of traffic, full day of work. You labor and you rest. God says, no, that's not how it works. In the kingdom, it's the other way. Your greatest struggle will be to be sit still until you hear from God. That is will be your greatest struggle. That is what you have to fight. Lord, I'm not going to do anything for the kingdom until I have heard. Till then, I will do the normal things. But he says, you have to labor to enter into his rest. The biggest issue with God's children is not with doing, but sitting still. Lord, what will you have me do? Saul of Tarsus. Go to the city. It will be told you. Scripture says he was led. Three years, three days. He's laboring, Lord. Praying, praying, praying. Laboring. He's not doing anything, but he's laboring to enter into God's rest. And I believe God is showing him his past. He's putting right everything. Third day, God says, Ananias, go to him. Lay hands upon him. He is my chosen vessel. He shall be my testimony around the world. He's entered into God's rest and he has understood what his work is. That's the labor. It took God 40 years, 40 years to bring Moses to the point he was able to hear. Not to do something to hear. 40 years later he saw a burning bush and God says, okay, Boy, I've been waiting 40 years. You can hear now. How many years does God have to wait before we can hear? 40 years. God, why? Because God knows when we are ready. Then only he can speak. We may think we are ready, but we are not ready. Only God knows when we are ready, where he is able to. Because he knows when we are ready and then he will say, okay, get up. Go. Gets up and goes. Father, take this cup away. No. You will drink from it. Yes, Lord. How he speaks. God did not say in the beginning, Abraham, as you are in the earth of the Chaldeans, go to the promised land. And in the promised land, I will bless you. And I will give you a son. And one day you have to sacrifice. You would have never gone. But when he was ready, God said, take your son. Your only son. Scripture says, next day morning, he left. He speaks to us depending upon our preparation, how ready we are to obey. The problem is not with God speaking to us, but with us hearing. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 7, in that very familiar parable, scripture says, some, that is the word, the voice of God, the seed of God, the word of God, fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up and it choked it. What did it choke? It choked your hearing. It stifled your hearing. Your ears got choked. You couldn't hear. And in verse 14, he explains what those Things are that clogs our ears. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard, they have heard, but they go out. You heard, then you go. That's why you have four doors. You go out. When you go out, they go out and are choked. The ear hearing is choked with what? Cares, worries, riches. Pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. When they go out of the meeting, or go out after your morning devotion, remember last Sunday's message, devotion, your ears, our ears get clogged by worries, riches, 
pleasures of life. All these six choke hearing. You see, when we were asked, we know Matthew 6.33 very well. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. And in verse 34, what does he say? Therefore do not worry. Because if you worry about tomorrow, your seeking will stop. Because to seek, you have to keep hearing. I was seeking something, but how will I know I have found what I was seeking unless he opens my eyes? Because what I am seeking are spiritual things. If I am worried, it clogs my ears. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And most of us have experts in allowing tomorrow to rob today's voice. Are you getting it? Why is this so important? Why is those so important? Because you need to realize, worry cares of this life. If you are a parent, it could be about your children. If you are a grandparent, it could be about your grandchildren. If you are a husband, it could be about resources. It can be anything. But God says, your worrying is clogging your ears. It's clogging your ears. And you have to make a very definite, for a young person, it's about your future. You have to make a definite attempt not to let it clog your ears. It's an act. I will not let it clog my ears. Why is this so important? Because in the same parable in 8.14, Jesus says, Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches or pleasures. Any of these things can distract you. And you stop hearing. What happens? And bring no fruit to maturity. When you reach God, you cannot give him a raw papaya. It has to be ripe. Whatever you brought has to reach full maturity. What happens? It never reaches. They never mature. Or they never finish God's work in their life. Jesus, even on the cross, says, Father, it is finished. I brought glory by the work that I have done. Paul says, I have finished my course. Peter says, I'm ready to put away this body tent and take up the next one. They're all ready because they have finished. But David says, David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and rested with his fathers. Why? Because they all brought fruit to the maturity and the only key is that the ears were not choked. They heard. They heard. They consistently heard. That's the picture you see in Martha's house. Two sisters, the house is the same, the need is the same. One is at rest, the other is agitated. While the third one is missing in that story. The fellow who is missing at the word is later found dead. Because life is in the word. If you don't receive the word, you will die. One is agitated. Therefore, though the Lord of life is in her house, she has no rest. While the other one is seated at his feet and she is at rest. One heard the word, the sister, but choked. Because the cares of this world. How can I cook alone for 13 people? Now I have to feed my sister also. So it's 14. Are you getting it? In Matthew 13, when Jesus speaks the parable, he says something to his disciples. Again, the same parable, he says, But blessed are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear. 
That's what God wants for all his children, to have blessed ears and blessed eyes. That even when you see the news, you're watching the news, it is scripture is unfolding before you. Yeah, yeah, it is written. It is written. It's all falling into place. Otherwise, you will panic. Everything you are able to see, you are able to hear. Blessed are your eyes and blessed are your ears because you are able to see and because we are able to hear the secrets of how God's kingdom is unfolding and it's coming closer and closer and closer. It works both ways. We have to labor to enter this rest and when we hear, if we obey, we will cease from all our labors. Cease from all our labors and his labor will begin. Look at an example, scripture, Luke chapter 5. Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. We caught nothing. He has labored the whole night. Caught nothing. Now at his word, he heard, but at your word, I will let the net down. Now you know what? He's entered into God's rest and he's obeying God. Now he's not doing his work, he's doing God's work. What did God say? Throw your net. You know what? He throws his net and from every direction the fish are coming into this thing because now it is the work of God. It is the work of God. It's not his work. It's the work of God. All night he had labored and had nothing to show for his labor. And then Jesus spoke. That was the beginning. Now, remember the context again. Let's go to verse 2. Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Jesus, the crowd is there. He showed two boats and the fishermen had gone and they were washing their nets. Okay, understand this. Verse 3 says, He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. He chooses the boat. We have no sovereignty over these things. He chooses the life. There may be five sitting here. He chooses one. I said, I'm coming into your life. You are the boat I have picked to speak through. All we can do is be available. He chooses. Many are called. Few are chosen. He chose. And as soon as he chose Simon's boat, scripture says, put out a little from the land. That's where it begins. The minute he comes into Raj's life, he says, Raj, I've come into your life. Now separate from the crowd. Because I have come into your life. Separate from the crowd. You are no longer part of the crowd because I have come into your life. There is a difference. You want to be a part of the crowd? I will get off the boat. I can find other boats. You want to be part of the crowd? You want to be part of the world? Fine. There will be another boat for me. Move away from the crowd. And he sat down. Ask these questions. Have I labored in vain all these years? Do I have anything to show in the kingdom of God? Not in this world. Anything to show for all this? I need to hear Lord. And attitude matters. You see with both Mary and Peter, attitude is the same. I think in my mind like this, okay, because if you've been, if you've grown up where the sea and all these places are there, this is a shallow sea. I see Jesus getting into Simon Peter's boat and he tells Simon, push it. 
I personally think he did not get into the boat. He waded into the water and he pushed the boat a little away. So Jesus is sitting in the boat and he's holding the boat. So he hears clearly while the crowd is far away. Your position matters. Do you hear clearly from God? You will when you obey what he has told you. Step away from the crowd. And you are very close. You have separated yourself from the crowd. And you have separated yourself unto God. And you are able to hear clearly. And when he has finished teaching the crowds, he has an instruction for you who obeyed the first command. What is that? Push the boat into the deep. I'm not finished with you. Push the deep. That's what scripture is talking. I and you have to labor to enter into his rest before we'll hear the next thing. And that is the key to everything. He's not saying you shouldn't do anything. He said you should do a lot, but you will do what I tell you. And when you do that, it's my power. It's not your power. It's not your struggle. It's my power. And you are restful through it all. And it matters. This attitude matters, whether it is with Mary or with Peter. The problem is when we do not hear, like Martha, present in the house, but absent in the mind. When we are present in the house, but absent in the mind. She's in the same house where Jesus is, but her mind is not focused on Jesus. And Luke 10 and verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. What happens? The blame game begins. We think we failed to bring anything into God's kingdom. We failed because you don't care. You don't care. And my sister doesn't care. Remember so many cases like that? The third servant came and says, you know why I didn't I didn't bring ten or two or three or five? You know why? Because you are a hard man. Do you want to get well? How long have you sat here? 38 years. Do you want to get well? I do want to get well. But you know what? The problem is not with me. The problem is all the other dudes who get in before me. The problem is not mine. I've been waiting, Anna, but you know, these guys never give me a chance. The blame game begins. When we begin the blame game, we are actually questioning God that God is partial. God is partial. God is not partial. God says, did you hear? Did you obey? Did you hear? Did you obey? So many fishermen were there that day. He got into one boat. Why didn't the others leave and wade into the water and says, I want to listen to what he is saying. So many people, shepherds must have been in the wilderness. They saw the bush on fire. They say, ah, another bush fire. One fellow went, what is this? He took a closer look. It's been burning for some time. But you know what? You know what? It's not being consumed. Hey, hang on. I listened to Zach Bunnan in 1986. I listened to him in 1989. I listened to him in 1990. I listened to him in 1995. I listened to him in 2000. I listened to him in 2005. I listened to him in 2018. Man, this bush is not, it's on fire and it is not being consumed. You know what? I need to listen to that man. I'm not listening to the shooting stars, blazing today, gone tomorrow. No. I'm listening to this man. This is a bush on fire that is not being consumed. Doctrine hasn't changed. The zeal has never gone. Bodily weaker. Yes. 
But the fire is still the same. I need to listen to them. Do we make choices like that? And God speaks. Instead, we are always watching our, our favorite program when it will come. Next serial, ugly bhag, what it will be. God says, you will hear what you want to hear. Not me. Not me. The blame game begins. Thoughts occupy our heart. Work occupies our hand. But the thoughts of our mind and the work of our hand don't tally. Thoughts are occupying Martha's mind. What is that? She's working. What are you doing? Serving for God. Who am I making? Serving for God's people. I'm cooking for God's people. But mind, so different. Mind is not towards God or God's people. It is angry. It is jealous. It is envious. It is pride. I want to show off. I am better than you. Did you see Martha? Syndrome? Thoughts and work. Don't tell me. This is occupied by something else. This is occupied by something else. That's what God is saying. Who can ascend to God's holy hill? Answer me. Who has? And a? Yes. What has to? Your heart and your hands are occupied by the same person. The person of Jesus Christ. He says, you work. It doesn't matter what is the work you do. It may be even mopping the floor. But you are doing it for me. You know what he says. You are ascending up the holy hill. You will hear clearer. If you are going up the hill. And he's speaking from the hill. Every step his voice becomes clearer. And louder. Let it be occupied. The hand should be occupied with the work of the kingdom. So should be the mind. Don't be distracted. So should be the mind. Remember one thing, the minors belong to the king. Our gifts, our talents, our resources, our very life belongs to the king. They are not our own. In the case of the third servant, it wasn't his enemies or powers of darkness or lack of opportunities, but absolute sheer laziness. And wrong attitude towards God. That brought no fruit. All three called him master. But the third man. Did not think well of the master. In Luke 19 and verse 21. This is what is said about the master. I feared you. It's good to fear God. But I did not fear you. Because you are awesome. I feared you. Because you are an austere, hard man. Kanjus. That's what he means. Somebody gives you a minor, you still call him Kanjus. Think about it. There are millions of Indians without jobs and you have a job and you think God is hard. Millions of children on the streets, homeless, begging and you have a home and you think God is unfair. Millions of kids, billions, literally, millions upon millions who go to regional medium schools where you have to really struggle for opportunities. You go to English medium schools, you call God hard? How do you see God? How do you see God? He saw God as an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit. Really? Who gave you one minor? Who gave you life? Who gave you your opportunities? 
Many of people think about God that way. Martha thought God was unfair. Question is, what occupies our hearts when we work? 90% let us, I'm just assuming up. Uh, assuming a number. 90% of married women are abused by your, their husbands. More, not just in India. Italy has one of the highest rates of domestic abuse where women are beaten up by the husbands all the time. So you thought God was unfair to you? God says, this is the norm of a fallen world. I didn't sin. I actually told you not to sin. <laughs> I told you not to eat. I told your grandma not to eat. She didn't listen. Why are you blaming me? Now let it finish its course. You keep your eyes on me. Finish your course. I'll take it to a place where there is no spousal abuse because there is no marriage. And if you are one of the lucky ones to marry the Lamb of God, what a man. <laughs> what a man. Look at all the girls smiling. What a man. Look at Safna smiling. Where is Safna? I can see her smile. Where is all oh, there? She is smiling from here. Safna hasn't stopped smiling from last week. You know? <laughs> Are your jaws aching so Safna? She is so happy. Look at her. Okay. I wish you years of happiness. See, if our hands may do something, our minds may be occupied with something else. That's why in Matthew 7, 22 to 23, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you were practicing lawlessness. See, we always thought abiding under the law, you are lawless, you are Law abiding. God says no. Lawlessness is actually in the mind. You can be absolutely sitting there at the red light. God says, you know what? The only reason you're keeping the red light is because of that cop and the camera. In your mind, you are lawless. In your mind, you're already on the other side. You have cut through every traffic. Probably knocked few people on the way. You are lawless. See, this is the problem. Everything they did is good. Yet God calls them lawless. So where was lawlessness? The lawlessness was in their mind. Everything Martha is doing is for Jesus and the twelve apostles. Yet in her mind, she's distracted. She's lawless. Actually, she's lawless in her mind. She comes and says, you are unfair. And you're not even telling my sister. Unfair. She's lawless. Because she is questioning the lawgiver when the, it says the law is holy. Lawless. While serving God. Please remember these things. It is described as lawlessness. So it has to do with the heart. Do you know you can serve God outwardly? With envy in your heart. Jealousy in your heart. Anger in your heart. Or contempt of others in your heart. Contempt of others. You can even pray with contempt. Lord, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And I'm not like that dude. Okay, Lord? Contempt. 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 God, God will choose his vessels. He looks, he looks at them and says, are they changing? 
Hannah is in uh, today's language, Hannah is telling, what's so great about your womb? My womb also can bear. God says, I'm not going to open your womb. You think you're better than her, right? Because your, your husband anyway loves you ten times more. And she is not loved. Okay, she has got children. You're not satisfied with your husband's love. Now you want to show off to you. And not only you are, you are a little like Rachel, Hannah. A little like Rachel. You want your husband's heart and you want your husband's baby to tell her. God says, it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. He shut her up. Shut her up. Every day, every year she could go and cry. God said, it's not happening, Hannah. It's not happening until you get your attitude right. And she got her attitude right. You know what scripture says? God opened her womb. She gave that baby to Christ. And after that you read Second Samuel. She's having child after child after. Because once her attitude is right, she's incredibly fruitful. It's not that she had one son. She had many children. Why? Because her fruitfulness increased. Because her attitude changed. That's what God is talking about. How much minutes do I have? Oh, I have still six to seven minutes because another major thing, listen to this very, even if you didn't, can't remember the rest of this thing, listen to this very, very carefully. Occupy till he comes. Because Jesus talks about another greatest danger, pitfall, if you don't occupy. In Matthew 12, verse 43 to 45, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes, takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. They enter, and I want to use the word, and occupy that house. Be careful. That's what happens to a human heart. That is not occupied with Christ. He gave you salvation. He set you free. But then he says, occupy until I come. Fill your heart with my word. Fill your heart with my purpose. Fill my heart and your mind with thoughts of mine. When you don't do that, you know, the fellow who went out, he comes back and he occupies your heart, your mind and your thought. I'm not talking about physical possession. I'm talking about the thought life of Christians. Occupied. Occupied by fear. So many are fearful Christians. Well, Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7 says, No. Tell me, Vijay. 1-7. God shall not, has not, I have not given you a spirit of? See, I have not given you. But why are you fearful? So somebody got in and occupied that space because you did not occupy with Christ and his love. Who occupied? Why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? It will come, but you push it away. It will keep coming. You don't have to let it, like, you know, you cannot stop a bird from flying over your head. But if it builds a nest in your head, hair, that's your fault. Fear will come. God says, resist it with faith. Resist it. I am not being given. My mind is occupied by what? My occupied mind by the power of God, of the love of God, and I have a sound mind. You have no place in my mind. You will not occupy my mind. God says, if you leave it empty, they will occupy. All of Christians walk in condemnation and guilt. But Romans 8 one says, there is though no condemnation who are in Christ. You know what? Christ hasn't occupied you, therefore condemnation occupies you. 
The spirit of condemnation has come in because you did not allow the word and obey the word. Repent and walk in forgiveness and walk in forgive, for mercy and walk with the thoughts of God. There is no condemnation. Because the spirit within you itself is crying out, Abba, Father, I love you. You hear every day. There is no condemnation. This is not connected to what all you did. It's because you have received forgiveness for it. You have extended forgiveness. You're walking according to the revealed will of God. However small it is, that's what I believe about Samuel, the spiritual principle. He, a mother surrendered, devoted him to the Lord, maybe at the age of five, he was small. Next year when she comes, she brings an effort for him. She's thinking in her mind, my Samuel has grown this much by she stitches and comes. I believe it fits him. He's growing. He's growing. It's great. You have to think about it. There's a robe of righteousness God has given you. You cannot be sitting there tightly in that old righteousness. You have to grow in your righteousness. Grow. You don't have to show your six packs in a tight t-shirt. No. No. Grow. 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 Don't learn all this from the world. Grow. No condemnation. But if you do not walk according to what God has said and forgive and extend mercy and walk in love, condemnation will come. And the problem is, nobody's tomorrow is guaranteed. It's like a bubble here, gone tomorrow. And you are facing death. It comes. You have no confidence. No confidence. Pause, pause confidence. Are you going to die? How are you going to death? Stop, dude. I see my crown. What are you talking about death? It's a departure. See my crown. Absolutely. Not even worried about death. He's seeing beyond that. I see my fruitfulness. I see the Lord waiting. I see the crown for me. I see it all. See? Because there's no condemnation. No condemnation. Because you have walked according to the word revealed to you. Problem is, if you do not allow God to occupy your mind, there are other spirits that will occupy the spirit of uncleanness. People who say, I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with these things. How did it occupy your mind? The spirit of uncleanness came in. What does scripture say? At once Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits went out. That's from the man at gatherings. They are so unclean. So unclean. That they entered into the most unclean of beasts. That's why they were happy. Okay, if I can't stay with this unclean man, let us go into the swine. Imagine, the prodigal son who left his father's house ended up in the pig pen. You see, where he has reached. And now the unclean spirits, how did they get into him? Because of unclean acts, unclean thoughts, unclean desires, because his mind was not occupied by Christ, it was occupied by other thoughts. God says, be careful. Eject it out. How do you eject it? By replacing, replacing. You have not given me that mind, Lord. You have given me the mind of power, of love, and of a sound mind. I'm ejecting it, Lord. Replace, replace, replace. Eject and replace. Anxiety and worry. If you don't trust God, your mind will be replaced by the spirit of anxiety. What does Philippians say? Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. It's not that you don't have pressing issues. But scripture says be anxious for nothing. He says it's an attitude. It's an act. Be anxious for nothing. If you are anxious for something, the spirit of anxiety will come upon you. 
And you will do things in your anxiety which you are not supposed to do. The Philistines are winning. The Philistines are winning. Where is Samuel? Where is Samuel? Where is Samuel? Are your times are Where is Samuel? Oh, my biological clock is ticking. I have to get married. I have to get married. Oh, I will marry this guy. Gone. Samuel syndrome, anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Suddenly, oh, Samuel is not there. Okay, I will, I will offer the sacrifice. He offered the sacrifice. Samuel came. Samuel was not late. He was on time. Only thing, this fellow was anxious. He says, "Why did you do that? Why did you do that? That was not yours to do. Kingdom is removed from you." God says, "Be anxious for nothing." Something which you train your mind. I will not. How do you do this? It's by meditating upon the word of God. Replacing your thought life with the thought life of God. The promises of God. Scripture says in Second Peter that by partaking of this extremely great promises, you partake of the divine nature of God himself. Jesus was not anxious. So he pressed the needs that pressed him was unbelievable. Lord, keep me humble. Learn of me. I am meek and humble. Otherwise, 1 John 2.16 But all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride gets in. That's one of the most dangerous, the, the most dangerous pride. Never be proud of your accomplishments because it was all a gift. If you, Deepika, was born in my place and had the same opportunities and the same mind, you would be standing here and I would be sitting there. So nothing to be proud about. Nothing to be proud about. Everything was planned by God. So if you one day become the greatest lawyer arguing in Supreme Court, also you have to realize there's nothing to be proud about. It was a gift given. I came with nothing, I will go with nothing. Nothing to be proud about. Instead, humble Lord, you gave me a body to do your will. It is my honor to serve you. Otherwise, pride will come in, replaces, and it's the most dangerous one. I've come to only five spirits. I'm coming to the sixth one, First Timothy 4.1. Spirit expressly says in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. Why? Because you did not receive the love of truth. If I don't receive constantly the love of truth explained by God's scripture and meditate upon it and allow to think, change my thinking and make my decisions accordingly, irrespective of everybody opposing it, you still go by what God has spoken and spoken over and over. The patterns are in the word. You stand by it. If you, you will be deceived. And God gives you to the spirit of error. Why do you even big, 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 big people make such terrible theological errors? Is because... They did not fill themselves, not with truth, but the love of truth. Love of truth. Love of truth. David could be finished his work because, not because he had truth, but because he had the love for truth. So God said, you are that man. He said, I am that man. No questions, I am that man. Be careful. 1 Timothy 4.1 Deceiving spirits. Doctrines of demons. If you don't receive it, in our mind, the love for God's truth, God will allow it to be replaced by something else. Because he said, occupy till I come. It's all different attitudes we need to be occupied. And finally, there are many, but just seven. 
Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions or their infirmities. He sent his word. We are all growing weaker in the body, but we don't have to be infirm before our time. We don't have to be infirm before our time because there is healing in his word. That was symbolized by the manna. They ate the manna and they were not infirm. He says, you eat my word, think my word, live my word. Your outer body will perish, but you will still have always enough strength to fulfill my purpose. You will fulfill. You will fulfill. Because I sent forth my word and healed you of your infirmities. Read Proverbs chapter 4 and see how it talks about the word of God is health to a man's whole body. Whole body. That's what God is saying. Is this how you look at my word? Is that? Be occupied with Jesus and occupy till the end. As I close, Luke 8 and verse 2. And a certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, of whom had seven demons. She was occupied by all this. But once she was delivered, she learned a very important lesson. To teach where I go. To be delivered is one thing. To walk in your deliverance is another thing. To be healed is one thing. To walk in your healing is another thing. She learned, I have been delivered. I am not going to let them come back and occupy me. And I know one place where I need to be seated. I'll be seated at his feet and be occupied with him in my mind. And they could never get him back into her. Wherever you see Jesus, you will see in the background Mary Magdalene. Therefore, she is the first one to see him. She is the one to whom the resurrection message is given because her mind was occupied. She was not fearful. The apostles were gathered because of fear. She was fearless and early morning before it was light. She was at the tomb looking for him because she did not even allow the spirit of fear to occupy her mind because perfect love cast away all fear. So God took a simple girl, woman, demon possessed seven demons, and put her across as a picture of what salvation can do. And says, so this is what it is. This is for what I came. Occupy till I come. This is the truth of the gospel. This is to what we are moving into the next year. Preparing, looking at, and says, God, we keep saying, God's love is like an ocean. Set boundaries by truth. Don't bend the truth. Receive the truth and receive the love of the truth. And say, Lord, my mind will be occupied by you and you alone. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you for this evening. Thank you for, Lord, you brought us all together once again in your house. And we thank you, Father, that you just did not give us a command, occupy, but you also gave us your spirit that we may occupy. I pray, Father, this remaining 26 days of this month will keep our mind fixed on you. Allow your spirit to test us, examine us, go through our inventory, where we have fallen short, where we have lagged behind, where we have become lukewarm, so that, oh, Father, you can restore us back, back, Lord, 
That zeal will come back. That fire will come back. And we will sit at your feet. And then we will follow you and serve you wherever you take us, Lord. In our school, in our college, in our office, in our church. We will realize, Lord, we are servants to him. Minas have been given so that one day, Lord, you would reward us. Those ten servants had no clue, Lord, when they were given one minor each. When the master came in, if they were fruitful, they would be given ten cities. They had no clue. They were just faithful by obeying their master's command. To us have been given the explanation. If we are faithful, the father will put us in charge of cities and nations, O oh Lord. How much more we have been told. And I pray, Lord, this word will not fall to the ground for us. And I pray everyone here sitting today, young and old, in their own little ways will make a stand and decision to start praying, Lord. They will start praying. And you will start speaking. That we will value that time we spend with you, Lord. That time we will value more than anything, Lord. We will value. It will not be nothing, but it will be everything for us. That minutes we spend with you will be everything. And we will see those early hours or late hours or minutes will define our life forever. I pray that for everyone sitting here, young and old, O Lord, that you will speak to us daily. Thank you, thank you, Father. You brought us safely. Take us back safely, Lord. We surrender today, tonight into the hands. If you tarry to come tonight, if you give us another day, help us to wake up in the land of living, living to praise you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.